How does the Beatles' first appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show, as well as the Rolling Stones' first U.S. performance at the Swing Auditorium in Southern California, relate to the Walkman, the iPod, and music as we know it today? Find out about all this and more on Full Circle Analog, the podcast hosted by Brad Blue, the man who, like many, was there through it all. The first and second British invasion, Bruce Springsteen, Elton John, and so, so many more. As well as sometimes me, Alec Blue his son and fellow lover of music, who comes on to provide a more modern perspective as well as learn about the past. This past Friday, I had an opportunity to see my first concert with a tribute band. I've always not really been too excited to go see a tribute band. You know, there was always a few of them around for a few decades now. And lately, it seems like there's a tribute band for every band that's out there, that was out there back in the day. But um, this past Friday, we went to see the Fab Four that were playing here in town at our brand new Performing Arts Center to kick off the outdoor stage that was constructed. This is a brand new building. It has an indoor theater for plays and drama, musicals, whatever, and has an outdoor stage for all the various festivals and fests, we call them. Uh, and uh, now they're really pushing, uh, you know, rock acts, pop acts from back in the day. And uh, last Friday was the Fab Four. Now, I believe they've been on Breakfast with the Beatles in the past, but um, not sure. Um, I know there's a lot of different Beatles tribute bands out there. Uh, these guys seem to be part of a organization that, uh, looking at their website, um, you know, is a whole big production. I mean... You have to, you know, apply, of course, and then you have you get training. Uh, you have to be a musician, of course, and uh, it's a whole big deal. Um, I've been looking at their website, like I said, and um, the particular group that we saw, um, the musician who played Paul McCartney, George Harrison, and John Lennon, looked very much like them. Um, the guy who played Ringo, not so much, but he looked like he was and sounded like he was playing drums like Ringo. Um, you know, their particular set that night went from, of course, the early days of Beatlemania and the songs off their first few albums. Um, then they segued into... And Sergeant Pepper in the second half of the show with the uh, outfits that the Beatles wore on that album cover. And then they kind of went out of the Beatles a little bit. And one of the most dramatic parts of the set was the musician who played John Lennon uh, played Imagine. And that was... That one really got me. You know, it's when John was killed many years ago, all of us 
took it so hard. I mean, I remember watching Monday Night Football that night, and uh, Howard Cosell made the announcement that John Lennon had been shot outside his Dakota apartment building. And um, December 8th, 1980. And then a few minutes later announced that he had died. And I just was ill for days. I'm just, just ill. I'm sure a lot of us were. A lot of us went to, that were living in New York, went to his uh, apartment, outside his apartment. They went to the Strawberry Fields uh, in Central Park. Um, it, uh, or was that put together afterwards? I don't remember. I just remember what a intense thing that was. So, you know, that double fantasy album that he did before he was killed, I never could listen to it. I love the songs on it, but I had to turn them off because it just made me so sad. Um, somehow, that all came full circle on Friday night when uh, they were doing the Sgt. Pepper set, which was amazing. Um, and John left the stage, and the three of them did uh, Paperback Writer and um, Gotta Get You Into My Life. Um, John came back on while the rest of them took off, while John did Imagine. They didn't call themselves, the, you know, by their names, John, Paul, George, and Ringo. Uh, they referred to Ringo as the drummer. So it was interesting, and at one point, the musician playing Paul McCartney asked anyone in the crowd from Liverpool, and of course several knuckleheads raised their hands, and Paul looked at one guy who raised his hand in the front and said, you're an imposter. And then he said, but so are we. And it just brought down the house, and it just there was a levity to it where they obviously loved impersonating I mean especially the guy who did McCartney he just was a dead ringer for the way Paul talked the way Paul moved while he played bass these little quirky things that you know and love about how they played and how they stood um, they had a couple keyboards on stage that were synthesizers mellotrons I'm not sure what all that were able to play the orchestration in a lot of their songs. One of the big songs of the night was uh, Penny Lane. That was a huge hit, and I got video of half of it until my phone filled up with memory. Um, but Penny Lane was, oh, just unbelievable. And the keyboard that John was playing that synthesized that fugalhorn trumpet, whatever, that, that special trumpet that George Martin found a musician who could play it to get the sound that they wanted just right for that little trumpet solo in the middle of Penny Lane. It was just amazing. And, uh, you know, from start to finish, it was a two-hour-plus concert. And uh, it never a dull moment. As In some songs, they sounded just like them. Uh, the graphics were great. Um, they started... The, the concert with a Ed Sullivan impersonator. 
<laughs> who was funny in his own right. Um, he came out during intermission and did stand-up. I guess this guy's an Emmy Award-winning uh, impersonator. He goes back decades. And uh, he's performed at Disneyland. He's performed all different kinds of places. And so he kind of opened up the show. And he also came out and did a stand-up. <laughs> Imagine Ed Sullivan doing Rodney Dangerfield. And it was so funny. And uh, other impersonations, too. And then the Beatles came back out. I say the Beatles. They were, they played the uh, actual instruments. Uh, John's Rickenbacker, that uh, guitar that George played during Magical Mystery Tour. Um, you'd recognize it if you saw it. Uh, Paul, the musician who played Paul, played the Hofner bass. And even John Lennon played the Hofner bass later on. Um, in the interview, I listened to the actor who, musician who plays McCartney. He's not even left-handed. He had to learn how to play left-handed. And he looks like he's a natural. I mean, these guys are very, very talented. I was blown away at the, the way that, you know, one thing, I was too young to see the Beatles when they toured you know, I was like eight years old when they were on the Ed Sullivan show. So, you know, from 64 through 66 or whatever, 68, um, was way too young to even go to concerts. But um, we have the rooftop concert from the movie Get Back or whatever that um, gives us a glimpse of what a tour might have looked and sounded like had they toured in 69, 70. And, it, you know, they were so strong on the rooftop at Abbey Studios, at Apple Studios, that seeing them Friday night, I got a glimpse as to what it might have been like. I mean, and it would have just been... That's one of those things we can always fantasize about. It'll never happen. But if the Beatles would have gone back to touring, like, say, after Sgt. Pepper and toured with Sgt. Pepper, the White Album, and Abbey Road, can you imagine the intensity of those concerts? It would have been insane. It would have been absolutely insane. Uh, on a level never seen. I mean, it would have been just like when they first hit the scene. In America, and that intensity and energy, I'm sure it would have been like that all the way into 1970 and beyond if they had stayed together. But, of course, that was not meant to be, and then we survived through the 70s musically. With, I mean, didn't survive. The, the second wave of the British music came on, on the coattails of the Beatles, you know, with our progressive bands that we know and love. But um, can you imagine? If, it would have just been awesome if they could have stayed together another five years or more. Um, instead, we had to trudge through their breakups and blame Yoko and then not blame Yoko. And, you know, John kind of got out there for a while and, you know, was doing some stuff that our parents thought was a little strange, the bed ends and... You know, him divorced Cynthia, married Yoko, and 
you know, John and what he was doing. George, you know, we got, we're blown away by all things must pass. And uh, his solo career started to take off. And then the concert for Bangladesh. McCartney and Wings, which was really rough for me to listen to because I really did not like Wings very much. You know, I always thought that he took one or two songs of all of McCartney's first, you know, six, seven, eight albums. Take two songs off of each of those albums and you'd have a great album. There was always two songs I spe- well, McCartney and Ram were, were pretty good. But after that, with Wildlife and Red Rose Speedway and whatever, um, there were two songs on each of those albums that were just as good as McCartney ever could write. And the rest of them were throwaway, I thought. But uh, a matter of fact, I made a cassette tape for my car that did exactly that. And years later, that tape disappeared, and I've been vowing to recreate it. Matter of fact, I have a stack of McCartney solo albums. Yes, I bought them anyway. In my office here that I've been meaning to transfer from my own uh, CD changer. Yes, I still use CDs. So, anyway, we were uh, getting back to the subject here. We were talking about imagining what it would have been like if the Beatles would have stayed together another five years or more. But one thing that this concert did was you could imagine what it might have been like playing a wide variety of songs because the second half of the concert was Sgt. Pepper, then they jumped back um, and did just bits and pieces of stuff for Revolver, Rubber Soul. I wish they would have done more off those albums, but my goodness, when you have a band that had over 200 songs, you know, how could you possibly sample? I mean, in, all, they have, in their heyday, didn't they have about 16 to 20 albums? And, you know, from the 60s into the early 70s, and then there's not even count their solo stuff. So, I mean, there's a lot of music there. It's hard for me even to remember all the songs they played, but it was like two, over a two-hour set. Um, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band and a little help from my friends was absolutely killer. Um, they played a video of uh, British folks. I don't know when it was uh, recorded. It might be some original footage from the BBC of you know people singing Beatles songs who were <laughs> 60, 70, 70 years old, 80 years old. It, was, uh, it started with When I'm 64 and then went to Yellow Submarine. It was pretty funny, but, um, you know, it was an amazing concert. They, uh, they did um, Revolution. I think that was their encore and uh their, no their final song was let it be of course <laughs> so because mccartney always ends his concerts i think with let it be so anyway um from one who was totally against going to tribute concerts to uh, 
the occasion was my wife's birthday, and we decided to give it a go. We both were a little apprehensive about it, but we both decided just to enjoy it, get into it. My son went. At the end of this podcast, I'm going to have him come in and get his uh, opinions on, uh, of course, you know, he was not born (laughs) anywhere near uh, the Beatles era, but he's grown up on Beatle music as his mom and dad are huge Beatle fans. So, uh, matter of fact, coming back from a uh, business trip, we uh, he listened to Abbey Road for the first time in uh, the car we were ri- driving. And I remember introducing Side 2. Even though it was on CD, I called it Side 2. I said, this is considered by many to be the greatest side of music the Beatles ever recorded. And uh, he was blown away. I mean, he had never heard Abbey Road. And the, the last great album he had heard was Sgt. Pepper. So he hadn't heard the White Album. That's funny. In my family, my wife and I have divergent opinions on the White Album. Uh, it kind of freaks her out. It's not her favorite Beatle album by any stretch of the imagination. And it's interesting that I believe the White Album is the highest grossing Beatle album of the set of all of their records. The White Album sold more copies than anything. I love the White Album. I especially love the little Harder Edge songs. It's got such a wide range of music on it. Um, So, anyway. The Fab Four. Go see them if you get a chance. And you can let your imagination run with what could have been, and pretend that it was. So uh, we'll come back in part two of this podcast with my son Alec and talk about his feelings about seeing the Fab Four. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in this far. If you've been here with us for this long, we really appreciate it. My name is Alec, and I'm Brad's son, and I'm here to talk a little bit about the Fab Four with my dad. He uh, introduced me a little bit, and, you know, my voice is at the beginning and end of each podcast. But I, I, I wanted to verify that, yeah, I, in fact, I had not heard Abbey Road until we came back from that uh, particular business trip. And uh, my major exposure to the Beatles happened before that in 2014, when for my mother's birthday, we as a family went out and saw Ringo and his all-star band at the Hollywood Bowl. And uh, that was, I believe, my first actual major concert, and uh, man, what a day. We also had made an entire uh, week out of it, I believe, or just weekend, but uh, we made a vacation out of it where we went to the uh, Ringo's exhibit at the, was it the... The Grammy Museum. At the Grammy Museum. And uh, so we saw like the Sgt. Pepper drum and all that stuff. And that that was my first time really hearing the Beatles and being totally enraptured by it. Because by that point in my life, I could actually, you know, sit down and appreciate an entire album. That's right. I'm going to save a lot of that for another podcast, that Ringo exhibit. from back then, which was quite amazing. And a little slight correction, it was... Ringo always ends his all-star band tours at the Greek Theater in Griffith Park. 
And that's where we saw Ringo, my son, my wife, and I. And it was the first time that all three of us had actually seen Ringo live. I said the Hollywood Bowl, didn't I? Mm-hmm. Beatles played at the Hollywood Bowl back in the day. They also played Dodger Stadium, and they just McCartney just recently played Dodger Stadium, and Ringo came on stage for the encore. Uh, however, uh, as promised, we're going to get a different perspective on the Fab Four, the tribute band that we saw last Friday night uh, in town. We have a brand new performing arts center here in town, and the inaugural outdoor stage uh concert happened with the fab four and we i started off talking about various ideas about how i felt about the fab not the fab four how i felt about i don't want to have to edit all this so started off talking about my disdain for tribute bands and my wife's birthday was coming up, and she wanted to give it a try, although she was a little apprehensive too. But I mentioned how it turned out to be a really fun experience. We got into it, and then I talked about how cathartic the experience was with the musician-slash-actor who played John Lennon, and what a wonderful job he did, and kind of helped me appreciate... Uh, John all over again and also uh, get through that very sorrowful time when he passed in 1980. Um, they d did not portray the Beatles per se. They played a band that was tribute to the Beatles. They never called each other by John, Paul, George, and Ringo, as I said earlier, and uh, they had some rather funny comments about that too as i mentioned the story about liverpool and how many from liverpool were in the crowd and the guy playing mccartney said you're an imposter to the guy in the front who raised his hand and he said but we are too which was quite funny and humorous and gave it a a real nice way to segue to the next song and all that. which was a little ironic because the guy who plays george Actually, is from Liverpool. Yeah. So that's a, that's about as, a, as as tribute as you can get. Yes. So um, we haven't really talked about the songs, the individual songs. You know, it's hard to remember even a week away. But uh, the general structure of the actual performance uh, followed the Beatles throughout their career chronologically. Uh, the the first, actually, the entire first act or first half was them with the with the bowl haircuts. And the and the suit and tie and the very official young Beatles, the I want to hold your hand kind of look that they were known for when they first started out. And uh, when the second half or they went to intermission and, uh, you know, we refueled on drinks and went to the bathroom and all that good stuff. We came back and in the second half, they opened in the full uh, militaristic outfits of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band with the with newly donned hairdos and the outfits and the instruments to match. And then after that, uh, they segued into the rest of the outfits that they were known for before finally ending up in, I believe that was all their, like, solo garb. Like, George with the red and black striped pants and Paul with the uh, white shirt with the uh, the sleeveless vest and uh, Ringo in the background with a mustache, as always. And uh, so that was, they followed the Beatles chronologically. Yeah, I would say it was probably the early 70s into their solo 
careers. Um, it could have been the, uh, the, you know, the sessions that would have comprised the White Album, Abbey Road, and uh, that, and Let It Be, their final album. <laughs> you you could take a, you could take a break. <sighs> so, um, what were your overall impressions of the band itself? Well. I get really into concerts. I love going to concerts. And so I was absolutely enthralled throughout most of the concert. I really didn't know what to expect. Uh, unlike you guys, I, I, I kind of had that opinion of, well, it's a tribute band. It's not the actual band. But having gained an appreciation for the Beatles, I felt that they did a great job of portraying that. And part of that was the in-between mixing and uh, the things that they'd say in between. They'd make fun of each other. They, uh, like... <laughs> The, and they were very responsive to the crowd, and then they rolled off of it, which was entertaining. Because, believe you me, as a as a uh, as a partially retired performer right now, I was in high school theater, but I haven't done theater since. Um, I know the feeling of trying to communicate with a crowd that is not having it. And I think the first half was like that. That was just getting the crowd warmed up, and uh, but they played off of it really well. Like, uh, I think they asked, who's excited for this song? And they, nobody, a few people cried and, or like, you know, yelled out and he went, eh, well, uh, you you all asleep? Everybody in the back, buy everybody in the front a drink. Let's get, mm -hmm. let's buy them two drinks. Let's get going here. Mm -hmm. And they kind of rolled off of it really well. And then every, I felt the energy in the room pick up in the second half. There was like twice as many people up front dancing. People were crying out, yelling, having a great time. And uh, I could definitely feel that in both their performance and ours. So... That's a good point. Yeah, I, I was very impressed with their showmanship skills, which I, I think I think the Beatles themselves probably would be too. One thing I've talked about earlier was, uh, you know, we all know that the Beatles, when they toured, one one thing that was great watching them, the Fab Four, was yeah, there wasn't the screaming going on that accompanied the Beatles during the 60s. I mean, you couldn't hear them at all because of the screaming well during this performance people weren't screaming and you could imagine what it might have been like to actually enjoy hearing them back in the 60s and as of course as they progressed to the sergeant pepper era and beyond uh, we have this massive jump from the screaming craziness of beatlemania to the beatles becoming a studio band for five years and then culminating with a rooftop concert which was a concept movie that was going to be called the get back sessions or let it be i think the official running title was get back or then it became let it be when it was made into a movie and of course it was a real downer of a movie that came out because they were actually breaking up at the time and but it had that 22 minutes of the rooftop concert which was actually edited down um, but they played several songs multiple times like get back they recorded two or three different ways different times so they were kind of in the studio but on the roof the rooftop concert in its final form looks like a concert like it was planned but of course 22 minutes and uh, would love to see the uh, footage of all of it it exists somewhere, and of course, uh, we will see a new version of the movie Let It Be. Peter Jacobson of Lord of the Rings fame has been given the wonderful opportunity to re-edit it 
and of course with modern digital sound too, and, and not dwell on the some of the depressing stuff that you know because there's a scene where harrison gets into it with mccartney mccartney definitely comes across as trying to be bossy and then of course there's the emergence in the studio of yoko ono which mccartney has actually said recently that was very uncomfortable they weren't upset because they knew John was madly in love with her, and they all celebrated each other's romances and stuff, but never had a woman really been in the studio, one of the girlfriends before. And John was obviously quite smitten and serious with her, and so they didn't want to offend John, but at the same time, they were kind of pissed off that she was sitting next to John because, you know, it just puts an extra presence. Instead of the four of them and all the crew, George Martin and Jeff Emmerich and all those other guys, um, there was an extra presence there. But yeah, so, and, and a little bit on that note, I uh, that was one of the things I did like about the Fab Four is everything about their show was happy and uplifting. Even you know, even the, his dedication to Imagine by John Lennon and the de- and the, his his speaking about his feelings about John and how much he he looks up to him and aspires to be him uh, and thinks that you know his ideas were right. Even that part was still uplifting as the, wasn't wasn't he great? Can we just appreciate him and what he stood for rather than a, yeah, and it's so sad he's gone, I can't believe it, I'm distraught. It was just a celebration and I appreciated that. Yeah. And everything they did felt like that, which is what I think set them apart from, I mean, maybe other tribute bands that, although I haven't seen any, so, you know, it's hard to say. The, to finish, my thought was from the Beatles different periods from live performances with screaming to the being studio musicians to the rooftop concert, the fab four kind of filled in the gaps because they played quite, you know, I would love to have heard another hour of songs from revolver, rubber soul, Sergeant pepper, let it be there. You know, but gosh, these guys could have played for 10 hours with all, you know, all the songs the Beatles recorded, but it filled in the gaps. Like what, Imagine what it would have sounded like for them to do Paperback Writer live, to do uh, so many songs, the, you know. Yeah, that was, the, that was the interesting thing is that they created their own fantasy within the tribute. It was like going back in time to an alter or to a parallel reality where the Beatles were together in the 80s. And then they played together and they, they sat down and said, well, uh, what songs can we play? Because we have like eight albums and a thousand hours of songs to put together. And they go, well, what are our most famous ones? And then they went on tour with that. And that was that was the fascinating part to me. Because, you know, you saw them change costumes. You're like, oh, man, what are they going to do next? In a perfect world, wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been nice after the rooftop concert for them to be so inspired? Hey, you know, we still got it. We because they, they always had it. They never lost it. Ringo has talked about that quite a bit, that no matter what was going on, when it came down to recording, they were all in and gave it 100% and always offered, you know, that's why their songs sound so great. But um, anyway, uh, that was one thing that struck me is imagining what it would have been like. I guess imagine what it would have been like for them to have gone on tour after the rooftop concert and do a final world tour. The original concept for Let It Be was to go to an exotic location, invite a bunch of people just to come here and play and do one last concert. But due to a million different complications, 
some which we've already mentioned, new relationships, souring of uh, some relationship within the band. They just never either agreed or it was just too much uh, money or too much time uh, that it never happened. And I can imagine, you know, being that close to three other people for like however many years at that point. I think altogether it was about 20 years the Beatles were together. And that that, that would get a little tiring, you know, because I I, I know that, you know, just being famous at all is difficult, let alone, you know, if you go out in public alone, people ask, why why aren't you with the others? Because we're friends. We don't live together all the time. What are you talking about? So I, I can imagine the tensions would be running high after long enough. So I guess in conclusion, um, I haven't changed my mind about tribute bands that much. I was pleasantly surprised to feel uplifted and cathartically get past a stumbling block I had over John's death and uh, going back to music uh, towards the end of the Beatles' career. But it took the rooftop concert in my mind uh, to enjoy the Fab Four and imagine what it would have been like to see the Beatles on tour somewhere between 69 and let's even say 71. Can you imagine a world tour of the Beatles, farewell tour? (laughs) Millions of people. They could have played for probably five years of farewell tour. So many dates would want, so many cities would want to see them. So, uh, Anyway, uh, tribute bands, love to hear your thoughts. You can uh, enter a comment. Uh, but yeah, feel free to share yours because, like I said, I really enjoyed the experience as a, as a, as a great what-if scenario because, you know, personally speaking, my favorite member is George. And, you know, I wasn't born until 1997, so by the time I could even have appreciated him, that, that, that door had already closed. But getting to see... Basically, you know, what George Harrison would be like if he was still with us, that that was an experience I'll never forget, is watching them perform as though they were still all, all still here and together is is great. And it's the the idea of it being like starting off in the Ed Sullivan show with the the uh, well, bump the microphone, starting off in the Ed Sullivan show uh, with the impressionist guy and then eventually just turning into what seemed like four dudes just having fun on stage, being, being brothers, being friends, just playing music and having fun together. That was, that was an experience I'll never forget. And that was really nice to me. That's one thing that Fab Four brought out. And one thing that was obvious that definitely helped the Beatles in the beginning during the Ed Sullivan performance is they honed their skills and their tight musicianship by playing hours and hours and hours in Hamburg and in uh, uh, in Liverpool and uh, the band on stage Friday night definitely played pretty tight they were a really tight band so uh, anyway the Fab Four any other there's about a half dozen or more I'm sure top rated tribute bands just for the Beatles alone uh, we'll be uh, interviewing a friend of ours soon who is a, <laughs> has seen more tribute bands and nostalgic, you know, reincarnations of bands from the 60s and 70s whose members are still alive, who do these stage shows and tour. You know, you've seen them on PBS a lot of times, 60s and 70s, and then you can buy these CD packages of all these songs. Um, 
So we'll be talking more about that, but uh, we wanted to uh, definitely get uh, some thoughts out to you about the Fab Four and tribute bands and uh, how you feel about going back um, to the 60s uh, with uh, tribute bands. Yeah, so leave a, leave a comment or send us a message on Facebook or uh, on our website. Let us know what do you want to see in in either a tribute band or uh, what's called a spiritual successor from something you care about. So like a band or a game or a team or a group or like whatever you want to see. What are some things you want to see in a, a faithful recreation of something you really care about? Goodbye, everybody. Yep, so see you next time. All right, that's it for this episode of the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We started Old Days New Ways to help people take their old audio and video tech and convert it to the digital age. If you're interested in getting that done or you want to keep up to date with all the awesome offers we have because we know that technology can be a daunting experience, you can go ahead and check us out at www.odnws.com. That's our website, and our two main tabs are Book Now and Learn How. Learn How is our up-to-date offers on how you can learn modern technology, and Book Now is where you can schedule appointments with us to help get your technology transferred to the modern age. So thanks for listening. Tune in next time.